This podcast is brought to you by Vinzero. Vinzero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit vinzero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From Vinzero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to Vinzero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Joanna Frank is the President and CEO of the Centre for Active Design, where she advances design and development practices to foster healthy and engaged communities. The Centre for Active Design is the operator for Fitwell, a unique building certification that positively impacts occupant health and productivity through an integrated approach to workplace design and operations. Fitwell's development was led by the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the General Services Administration. We're joined today by Joanna Frank. Welcome to the program, Joanna. Thank you. Investor sentiments changed in the last 24 months when we think about the built environment. What can you share? So we actually went out and surveyed global investors uh, so that it isn't me telling you how investor sentiment has changed, but really the investors themselves um, telling us this. So we went out, we surveyed investors who represent 5.7 trillion of assets under management um, and big real estate owning portfolios, as you can imagine. And we asked them, like, you know, how has COVID changed your understanding of health uh, as a priority? How does it fit within your ESG strategy, your environmental, social and governance strategy? Um, and one of the big takeaways that we got was that over 90% of investors are now prioritizing health, which probably doesn't surprise anybody because of COVID. I think the thing that was really interesting is that as an industry, um, investors are now seeing health as a risk, whereas before COVID, they were seeing health and promoting health as a nice to have. And what that means is that before COVID, uh, investors in real estate or owners of real estate were prioritizing sustainability, they were prioritizing security, they were prioritizing all kinds of other ways to inform how they were improving their real estate before they were thinking about health. But now because of COVID and because of people's increased demand for health promoting environments, health is now seen as a risk. If you can't demonstrate how you're promoting health, there is a potential to lose tenants uh, or not be able to maintain the tenants you have. Um, And that is a game changer because everybody thinks about risk. When it's in the risk column, it becomes something that we measure, that we track. Uh, Everybody, obviously, on the financial side of things are now thinking about health in in that way. The other thing that came about because of that survey was this understanding. We we, uh, gathered data, but we also did interviews with those investors. And something that I thought was really interesting was that more than one investor actually told us that, A, you can't unsee the last 24 months as far as what health can do to a portfolio and the financial returns of a portfolio. But also as an investor that they had previously thought about buildings and and portfolios of assets that they're investing in, but now they're thinking about the people in those assets. And when you start thinking about the people in those assets, and really many of them were saying it was for the first time, um, you are thinking about their health. Because when we're thinking about health, we're thinking about not just physical health, but mental health and trust. Um, And everybody now understands and has been shown that you have to have the trust of your tenants and occupants in order to um, invite them back into those buildings. So how would you define a healthy building? 
So when we think about a healthy building, it's really a process and not a kind of a one size fits all design strategy. So the process really is that every building in order for it to be healthy needs to directly um, address the health needs of the occupants and the community at large. So you need to be specific and address the actual occupants in your building. One size does not fit all. The second is that you need to be using uh, research-based strategies in order to inform the design, the operation, the maintenance, even your communication strategy to be informed by research. So you're using researched evidence-based strategies. And thirdly, you are having a measurable impact on the occupants of your building. And it's really the measurable impact that we're focusing on this year because we have new information around tenant satisfaction and how to really increase and improve tenant satisfaction by directly prioritizing occupant health. So buildings really do support people. How is it they do that? So there's a lot of different ways that a building supports and promotes health. Um, it's really all aspects of the building. And, and that is something that I think people perhaps didn't understand before COVID. And that is that every building impacts the health of the occupants in that building, whether you know it or not. Buildings also impact the health of the community that they are within. So when we think about health, we're really kind of putting it into four buckets. First of all, we're thinking about the location of the building. And so how walkable is the neighborhood? Do you have access to transit? Do you have access to parks? Do you have access to grocery stores within a walkable uh, distance? Um, But we're also looking at any negative aspects of location. So is it in a flood zone? Is it high fire risk? Are you downwind of the pollutant source? So those are kind of all of the location pieces. The next bucket that we're looking at are the design uh, strategies of that building. Um, And those include the aspect, like what direction do you have views of nature? Where is the stair? Can you see the stair when you first walk into the lobby? So a a nice stat is if you can see a stair when you walk into the lobby, you are 50% more likely to actually take that stair. If you then add a sign that tells folks and reminds folks to take the stairs that it's beneficial for their health or to reduce energy use. The next set of strategies that we're looking at are the operational strategies. So those include indoor air quality, but they also include stuff like integrated pest management, which we always love to talk about because I think people don't think about maintenance. Maintenance actually has an impact on people's physical health, but it actually really impacts mental health and trust as well. So in this era where building owners are really looking at how do I attract my tenants and the occupants back into the building, it is really important that folks understand that the physical way you present a building, how well maintained it is, your communication strategies all impact the trust of your occupants. If you have a well-maintained building with well-maintained greenery, it impacts, uh, it can positively impact trust by up to 11%. If that greenery is poorly maintained, it can actually have a negative 5% impact on trust. So even before someone's walked into the doors of your building, if there's a dead fir tree as they come in, they're not going to trust you. So really important that folks understand that maintenance is essential when it comes to mental health and trust. The last group of strategies are the amenities. Um, So what is really interesting, we just released a benchmarking report um, and we worked uh, 
on benchmarking a portfolio of assets actually with Quadrail. And Quadrail are the real estate owning arm of the British Columbia pension plan in Canada. So they have a large portfolio of assets. So they benchmarked using Fitwell. They looked at all of their strategies, which are those four buckets. So the location, the design, the operation, and the amenities. And they benchmarked those assets. They were multifamily as well as commercial, as well as industrial. And then they we overlaid that data set with their tenant satisfaction surveys. And we have found for the first time, because this research hadn't been done before, that there is a direct correlation between promoting occupant health, using evidence-based strategies and tenant satisfaction. So that's a really big deal because we haven't been able to answer that question before. We haven't been able to say definitively that by really prioritizing your occupants and your tenants, you can directly impact their um, tenant satisfaction. So that's it's kind of a game changer. So it's certainly going to be exciting information for investors and owners. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, in this day and age where we really need to be prioritizing tenant satisfaction, the fact that there are tangible already defined strategies that you can adopt that you know (laughs) will have a measurable impact on tenant satisfaction, I think is something that we're all looking for in this day and age. And it totally makes sense. The other really interesting piece of this puzzle is that it was the operational strategies that had the greatest impact on tenant satisfaction. And I did not know that. I wouldn't have known that going in. I think I would have thought it was location or design and respond to these new demands from tenants that you have to be health promoting. And the answer is you prioritize their health and those operational strategies are the ones that are going to resonate with them. And the subset of operational strategies that had the greatest correlation even further, like as we drilled down, were actually um, were access to healthy food. So healthy vending machines and having healthy snacks. And what's even more interesting globally on the Fitwell standard, these are the least used strategies. So it's the greatest opportunity. So the least used strategies have the greatest impact on tenant satisfaction. Well, that certainly gives a lot of people hope in terms of being able to implement some easy, quick wins to increase satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's one thing that I really, we want to empower the industry, that this is not rocket science. We are not telling you to rip out your mechanical system and, you know, enact some incredibly expensive upgrades. We are really talking about that if you look at the evidence-based strategies, if you prioritizing to prioritize the ones that are directly relevant to your occupants, right? So residential is different from industrial, different populations have different needs. And we're talking about things like create a community garden, have a healthy food, a healthy snack bar available, change your vending machine policy so you don't have, you know, a lot of sugary beverages. So you have water and other kind of uh, health healthy uh, beverages, uh, drinks, and so on. So I think giving people these tangible strategies to do in the order that they should prioritize them um, really empowers the industry, empowers the building operators, the managers, the owners, that they can do something and it isn't about ripping out the stair and putting in a new stair. And of course, beyond the benefit to the occupants, there is also a direct benefit to the owners and investors themselves, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, If you can increase your tenant satisfaction, you are more likely to have sticky tenants. And you can also use all of those strategies that you're doing um, in marketing to say, we are prioritizing the health of our tenants 
and here is how, um, and really talking to your potential tenants about why it's in their interest to locate in those buildings, because it will lead to happier employees. And obviously, we're all experiencing a lot of turnover of staff in every industry. Um, some industries are incredibly competitive when it comes to talent. And even before COVID, we were seeing that employee demands were driving a lot of the healthy building movement. So 78% of millennial employees actually rate their employer based on the design and location of their building. And it's one of the key factors they use when deciding whether to, first of all, join a company and then whether to stay. I think it's empowering for the building owners and the investors that there are tangible things that they can do that will directly resonate with this new demand that is coming from, from tenants and coming from their employees. Whilst the latest research is new, history tells us we've known a lot of these things for many years, haven't we? There is a hundred years of public health research that we're drawing from. This is not new information. New York City was building public parks back in the 1800s specifically to address infectious disease, and they were describing them in the newspapers of the time as the working man's lung. So there is a wealth of information that has already been established. So it's really, I think, important for the real estate industry to understand we have been addressing infectious disease using our built environment for more than 100 years at this point. New York City, which is where I'm based, um, actually basically redesigned the city to address infectious disease. So I already mentioned they created the Parks Department, but New York City also created uh, minimum standards for design of, of housing, the Tenement House Act, which actually set minimum standards for light and air. Um, and that was specifically because of infectious disease. Um, New York created a reservoir system and piped fresh water down into the city to address infectious disease. We created a new sanitation department to address street cleaning and maintenance, which is something we've been talking about. So none of this stuff is new. This stuff has been thought about before. So let's talk about Fitwell and the significance of Fitwell for improving the health of buildings. Sure. Yeah, thank you. So Fitwell, actually, it's a healthy building standard. Um, we did not create it. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention created it, uh, more commonly called the CDC. I think most people around the world have now heard of the CDC because of the pandemic. Um, but the, the CDC is the leading infectious and chronic disease agency of the U.S. government. So the way Fitwell was created was really looking first and foremost at that research base, that evidence base. So taking the global evidence base and looking at what is the strength of this evidence? How can we quantify the impact that these design and operational strategies are having on health? So Fitwell isn't just a checklist. It is actually a weighted set of strategies that reflects the measurable impact on health. So I've mentioned being located in a walkable neighborhood. So we know that there is a very uh, deep body of evidence around the beneficial health outcomes of being in a walkable neighborhood. There is a body of academic peer-reviewed research that has demonstrated the correlation between being in a walkable neighborhood and defining that walkable neighborhood as um, having street trees, the size, the scale of the streets, how shady are streets, are there benches, are there places to walk to, are there crosswalks and cross lights, is it safe, is it accessible, for universally accessible for all populations. So it's a very defined kind of meaning of what is walkable. So really a lot of information behind Fitwell, but we present it in a way that's really user-friendly. 
Joanna, given that a lot of the evidence-based research you're talking about refers that the location of a building is so important, what is your advice to owners that actually have a poorly located building? So this is one of the things I think that makes Fitwell unique. There isn't a prescribed path to how you promote health within that building. And you can always do something to promote the health of occupants. 80% of the buildings we work with are existing buildings. So they cannot change the location of those buildings. So an example of that would be if you are in a suburban location um, and the building is in an area that isn't walkable, that you have to drive to that to that uh, property. And that's the only way to get there, right? There isn't a safe way to buy, et cetera. That's fine. Because what we then see is that those properties typically have more square foot per person. So you have a larger area of building itself because that's the way real estate works, right? It's less expensive. Um, So there are more opportunities to provide amenities and workout spaces on the inside of the building. There are also typically in those properties, they typically have outdoor space as well, which you are less likely to find in an in a location that's more highly walkable so you can use the the attributes of the property that you have and the system itself will actually tell you kind of this is what you should prioritize for this location and you can actually get to the point where statistically numerically you have an equivalent score and that's really important for equity what we're seeing on the tenant side with employees is that you really have to be able to earn people's commute. You have to be able to demonstrate to them why it is in their best interest to come back into an office environment. Um, And there's a lot of reasons that you could use. Maybe indoor air quality is better. I live in New York City. Air conditioning is very expensive and I live in an old building. (laughs) So air conditioning in a, a, you know, a beautiful uh, office space in the middle of Manhattan is going to be much better than my air conditioning. I think you just raised an important point there when you talked about the difference between your own property you're occupying as a a residential tenant versus commercial properties that are being occupied by commercial tenants. What's the difference in the uptake of uh, Fitwell type strategies, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I can speak to that. So um, we, by far, our greatest user base are the commercial tenants. So they were already using Fitwell before. COVID because of that demand coming from um, employees. Only about 11% of our users were multifamily residential. And that is because there wasn't demand coming from the individuals that are looking for places to live. So even though the individuals were demanding health from where they work, they weren't demanding health, uh, promoting environments from where they lived. Now everybody is coming in and saying, I need a health promoting environment for where I live. So we're seeing multifamily is the fastest growing sector on Fitwell. So what are the key metrics used for Fitwell success? And how long does the process normally take for a building to go through Fitwell certification? Sure. So the process itself is a 12-week process. So you start by benchmarking your asset. And in order to certify, you actually have to then upload documentation demonstrating compliance with each of those strategies. So it isn't good enough to tell us it's a walkable neighborhood, right? You have to either put in a walk score, which is a recognized way of quantifying walkability, or we have other ways if there's no walk score in your country. We then review it and give you comments and say, actually, you need to give us another photograph of X, or there's this paragraph in your indoor air quality policy that isn't meeting this 
requirement. So there's kind of a back and forth. You have a couple of weeks to respond and then we do another review. Um, so you have an opportunity to have that um, that input before you get a final score issued, which is your certified mark. So it's a pretty efficient process. This is not supposed to be a long process because we're all about scale. We want you using Fitwell at scale. Some of the key metrics um, are really looking at the health outcome categories. So when we're looking at health, we're quantifying health with looking at seven different aspects of health. The secondary metrics that we're now looking at are things like tenant satisfaction. So there's a tenant satisfaction survey within Fitwell if you're not already using one. Um, obviously, if you already have one, like Quadrail already had a tenant satisfaction survey, you can now start to overlay the design and operational strategies that you've now quantified using the benchmarking. You can see how that's impacting health, but you can also now see how that's correlating with tenant satisfaction and start to prioritize different strategies in order to directly address that tenant satisfaction. Um, and then all of this wrapped up together, a lot of folks are using as um, part of their environmental, social and governance reporting as their ESG reporting. And some of the ESG systems accept Fitwell as a, you just can say I'm using Fitwell and that gets you uh, a lot of points towards your S metrics. So you don't then have to break it down further. Are you looking for a digitalization and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes, so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey. Visit binzero.com to find out more. You have a number of showcase certifications and organizations using your program, and one of them is Meta. What can you tell us about their approach to healthy buildings? Yes, yeah, so they are part of this new wave of tenants who are really taking that leadership stance of going out and certifying the properties that they are leasing. So they're not the owner of that property. Um, and then they're, they're typically not owners. A lot of the tech industry are not owners of the properties that they're within. They may be uh, having them custom built by the owners, um, but they're really driving the market because it is their employees <laughs> that are demanding the whole of the tech industry, not just Meta, uh, really demanding those health promoting spaces. And obviously there's great competition within that industry for talent. And so the the financial industry and the um, tech industry were the first two industries that have really addressed um, and uh, taken on Fitwell at scale because they know that they need to do that within their work within their own workforce um, to to be able to retain the talent that they already have and compete for talent. We are seeing quite a few tech uh, companies are, are using Fitwell, um, and they're using it to attract ta talent. They're also using it for that equity issue that they want to be able to look at different kinds of offices. As I mentioned, it was Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield who really talked about it as an equity issue. Also, Wells Fargo, who's one of our largest users, have spoken publicly about it being an equity issue amongst their employees. So they need to be able to say to their employees exactly what we were talking about earlier, that this space may be a different kind of space or this location may not 
appear as positive as another location, but we can demonstrate to you as an employee that we are still promoting your health equally to your other colleagues. We're just, we're doing it in different ways. We don't have to have a gym in every building, right? That is not the way that we need to promote health because in this location, it's highly walkable. You're getting a physical activity because of the location. So to have a gym and there may be three gyms in close proximity to the space, that isn't the thing that is going to have the greatest impact on your health. The greatest impact on your health for this location would be for us to build a cafeteria because there isn't access to healthy food in close proximity. So it allows for that difference, but to be able to talk about it, it's different, but equal. And that is really important for these large companies that have large, highly educated workforces that also are very mobile and will vote with their feet if someone is doing a better job. Absolutely. So the the recently released Health Drives Value in Real Estate report highlighted a number of factors. What were some of the, the key things that we haven't yet touched on? So I think location is is something that we haven't talked about as far as value is concerned. So what is surprising is that large portfolio owners or investors with large portfolios don't have standard metrics by which to describe the location of their buildings, which is so surprising. So everyone knows that location drives value, but we can't actually quantify it using the same standard. So that was a revelation to us. Obviously, standardization then allows for a much greater understanding of of what is actually driving variation in value once you actually have a standard. So that's where folks are starting to use Fitwell really as a property management tool, just as a way to understand their portfolio, let alone the health piece, just as a way to have a standard set of metrics that are quantifying location, design, operation, and amenities. And then from that baseline, from that benchmark, you can then start to better understand the physical attributes of your existing portfolios. We're also seeing investors using Fitwell to inform what they invest in in future. So they're saying, oh, buildings that have this set of attributes are correlated with higher financial performance. So as we go and look for new properties or portfolios to buy or to invest in, a lot of our users are institutional investors. They're actually saying we are looking for these attributes within the the portfolios or the assets that we're purchasing. So we've talked a lot about the application for commercial tenancies, the application for residential tenancy. What's the opportunity for industrial-based tenancies? So this is an area that we really see there isn't a great deal of demand right now from the actual tenants. So it's kind of the opposite of the commercial and residential, but we see a lot of need. To, to promote the health of the occupants within industrial properties. Uh, we just put out a, a report, it's called Building a Better Box, <laughs> um, which is about the industrial sector. So in the US last year, there was a 60% turnover of staff within the industrial sector. And that means that as a sector, certainly in the US, the sector is going to run out of employees. And we're already hearing in some locations that folks are having to bring in agency workers, temp workers in order to fill those positions. So one of the kind of key ways that we identified that industrial and manufacturing companies can really start to stabilize that workforce is to address health because we're seeing very high levels of stress, anxiety. This is the workforce that has just worked in person all through COVID, been some of the hardest hit by COVID numbers and have physical conditions within some of these properties, which really are not prioritizing health, human health. Really simple stuff like access to daylight, having enough bathrooms, having access to outdoor spaces for 
breaks that are actually maintained and and so on. So we're really, the bar is not very high (laughs) for an industry right now. So we're seeing a lot of opportunity to prioritize health within the industrial sector. And we're seeing investors in industrial assets looking at industrial as a potential and as a current weak area in their portfolio when it comes to environmental, social and governance metrics. So we are looking at, you know, at what point will be the tipping point where industrial and manufacturing companies start to see this as necessary in order to stabilize their workforce and attract and maintain talent. It hasn't happened yet, but we are out here with the data and saying this is going to happen, folks. Um, So that's an area kind of to be watched for the future. Lots of opportunities. So certainly, Jonah, we're coming to the end of our time together on the Think Future podcast. So can I ask you, when you think future about the role of Fitwell and the work you're doing in promoting healthy buildings or the healthy built environment, what is it that excites you the most? So for me, it's scale. I'm very excited that we are now at a scale that we can provide the industry all this great data. It has statistical significance. We can really talk in not certainties. The real, the researchers in my team don't allow the word certainty, but uh, strong statistical probabilities, <laughs> statistical significance. So it's it's exciting. We're at a moment where we have enough insight, we have enough knowledge, and there's demand in the marketplace for health, and we can actually meet that demand with uh, information that is solid and you know has a lot of uh, validity to it. So. For me, we set out 10 years ago to bring about market transformation around health. We can now articulate why and how promoting health is part of both of those uh, sides of the financial coin that that real estate is really about. So I think we can actually achieve what we set out to do, which is the market transformation. And that's going to require data. That's going to require our tech platform um, and really aligning with things like the larger trends, like the ESG investment trend, providing those metrics, responding to that tenant demand, responding to the tenant satisfaction. So we have all the pieces, which is exciting. Now it's a case of advocating and talking about it and and working with our amazing existing users to really have them tell their stories and why they're doing it. So I'm optimistic that we can actually see this change that that we know is uh, possible and good for real estate. Right? This is not this is not going to cost more money, folks. This is actually going to unlock um, value for real estate. Well, congratulations on a great program, and particularly for driving practical changes that people in all types of buildings can make. Joanna, it's been great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by Vinzero. VinZero help the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening.